This is a Dauntless Media Collective podcast. Visit dauntless.fm for more content. I'm sorry. Yeah. But you're on chapel probation. Just trying to change it up. I'm your host, Scott Okamoto. Greetings, Reprobation Nation. No, let's go back to reprobates. Anyway, in my book, Asian American Apostate, I write about navigating evangelical faith and actually existing in the world with this one life. Tough call there. For me, digging into my identity or identities was enough to cause me to challenge the foundations of my faith. And a life fully lived with passion, love, and connection eventually made evangelical Christianity look pretty damn awful. So I wanted nothing to do with religion, not even engaging in online discussions of life post-faith. But I eventually found the Exvangelical Facebook group. I reluctantly went back on Twitter and was delighted to meet one Chrissy Stroop. And Dr. Chrissy Stroop introduced me to my guest today, Emily Torres, or M, as she's known. So before I had this podcast, long before I finished my book and met a publisher, David Morris of Lake Drive Books, M engaged with me and even put me on her podcasts, The Life She Wrote. Maybe it was because I wrote a theme song for her. But that podcast was the very first official deconstruction conversation I ever got to have. And I'll forever be grateful to M for that opportunity. Now, M went to Vanguard. Uh, the very first year it changed its name from Southern California College. I don't know, those Assemblies of God schools are not very original. So Vanguard, cool. Today, she is blissfully untethered to religion, like a lot of us and she'll tell us about the journey. Hi, I'm Em. I, um, I go by she, her. Um, you can also call me Emily, but most of my friends call me Em. Um, I spent uh, only one fateful year at Glorious Vanguard year. University. <laughs> Glorious year. At Vanguard University of Southern California, formerly known as um, Southern California College. I was actually there. The first year, it was uh, Vanguard University, where it had transitioned from SCC to Vanguard. Um, and of course, you know, like with everybody else, there's a story there, why I was only there for one year. Um, but that's me. <laughs> right on. Um, well, what was 18-year-old M like? What, what, what brought you to Vanguard? Uh, in short, music. Ah. Um, Music and uh, a lot of family friends sort of connections going way back with the school. Um, a lot of my parents' close friends had attended there at different oh, wow. times. Uh, yeah, back in the day. Generations. <laughs> yeah, so back when it was SCC. So there was... Um, and we attended in the Assemblies of God Church, which that's the denomination that Vanguard's... Um, affiliated with yeah and so we also 
spent time there doing other things. I think we went down, I think I went down as a chaperone for like a performing arts competition or something. The Assemblies of God does weird stuff. Um, they have like performing arts competitions every year where like youth and they have like youth convention every year, which is huge. Um, it used to be in San Diego every year, the convention center, uh, the the Southern California one, there's just like thousands of students descend on Southern in San Diego. And, um, yeah, you know, they'd get like big name CCM artists in there. Like we saw audio adrenaline one year and other people I can't remember. I don't know. Okay. So there's like the nineties. Yeah, late 90s, early 2000s. Early 2000s, okay. Yeah. Um, so I was at Vanguard, uh, 99, 2000 um, was the year I was there. Um, lived in the freshman dorms in the towers, as they called them. Uh, on the There's a girl's side and a boy's side. I think it's still that way. It's like cinder block walls. It kind of feels like yeah. prison. There's a moat between them. That, that, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Some barbed wire. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it was an interesting experience. I mean, it was. Was it something you? But you, you being all in as a as a good Assemblies of God mm-hmm. kid. Mm-hmm. It was. You were. Were you excited to be there? Were you? Oh you know? yeah. I mean, I thought it was. I thought it was fate. I mean, I thought it was. I didn't really. When I was in high school. I guess I should preface this by saying I didn't know I had ADHD back then, but I do have ADHD. When I was in high school, my grades weren't great. Obviously, I struggled a lot, um, but I just thought I was lazy. <laughs> my parents thought I was lazy or unmotivated. I don't know. Um, all the things that are just ADHD, but, you know. Yeah. Um, and so I didn't really and I knew my parents weren't rich, you know, like I knew they weren't didn't have some college fund that was going to pay for college. So I didn't really think that I was going to even go to college. My parents didn't go to college. My grandparents didn't go to college. I, I do not come from a academia type family. Um, and it was actually not until uh, like the end of my junior year, beginning of my senior year, my youth pastor, actually, who's still a close friend of my parents to this day, actually, but he's no longer in ministry. It's nothing. Um, he pulled me aside and said, you know, I really think that you should apply to Vanguard. I think it might be a good idea for you to get like some separation, you know, kind of be out on your own a little bit from my parents. My parents were youth leaders. They were very involved in the church. They weren't ever ordained ministers, but our life revolved around. I mean, they volunteered in every capacity. My parents at different times have sat on church boards. Um, And at the time, this was actually through and we were at a non-denominational church, but most of the people in leadership were assemblies, former assemblies of God or former, I think Nazarene or something. Um, so, and our youth pastor was an alumni. He went to SCC, uh-huh. which became Vanguard. And so he's like, I think you should apply. And I did. Well, <laughs> I mean, it turns out Vanguard really lets in anybody who can breathe as long as you have like a <laughs> reference letter from somebody, you know, like of stature. And, yeah. High school our, diploma. Yes. Yeah. Um, it's so sad because by my senior year, I kind of felt a little more confident. And that was like the only year that my GPA was like above a 3.0. Like I was so proud of myself. Like, but that's yeah. the year that doesn't count, you know? Oh, <laughs> so that's right. Because you apply in your junior year. Yes. It doesn't even matter. It's cool. It's fine. Um, I actually took the SATs. I didn't do terrible. Um 
but yeah, I ended up getting accepted and going. My parents all along were very concerned about the money because even back then right. it was very expensive. Yeah. You know, even in 1999, it was still like 19000 a year um, yeah. with room and board, which back right. then was very expensive uh, yeah. for a private college. So my parents were very concerned about money and all of that. But, you know, you know, here I was thinking I had prayed my way through this whole thing. And I, you know, if I got in and everything just keeps keeps moving forward, that must be like God's way of saying it's just all going to work out. You know, I'm sure you remember what it was like in that mentality of like, yeah, just trust, you know, that this is his plan, then he will make it happen. Yeah. Right. And I remember kind of standing my ground to my parents at the ripe age of 17 saying like, hey, this is going to happen. Um, and it did. So like, you know, I graduated from high school and then like that same month we drove down and I had to register for classes. I, I think that's when I did my choral music audition um, with Dr. James Milton. Um and I already knew who Doc was at that point. I'd already gone down into the little campus tour thing where you stayed the night in the dorms with somebody, you know, we did all yeah. that. So, you know, I knew my way around campus already. I felt comfortable. Um, but I was very naive. I mean, obviously, I'm 17 years old. I lived in a super sheltered life, you know. And yeah, Orange County is also super sheltered, but there's people at the school from place. all over. Yeah. Yeah. And there's people that come to that school from all over. Um, I think my first like reality check was when I went down during welcome week. Well, I went down the week before welcome week, I think, because we had like our own choir rehearsals for like a week straight before that. So I was like in my dorm room by myself, basically. I had other friends in the hall, you know, that were there for choir and orchestra the week before. But then welcome week is when I met my roommate. And that was like my first reality check because my first roommate, she, um, well, there was two of them and they were there to play basketball. They weren't even Christian. They never like grew up in church. Oh, they were like yeah. recruited to play basketball. Yeah. And I was so confused. You know, here yeah. I was thinking like, oh, my life's going to be so much easier now because I'm not um, having to maintain my faith at a public high school. I'm going to be at this private Christian college where everybody believes the same thing. And so I don't yeah. have to like have hard conversations anymore. I don't have to, you know, cause I hated evangelizing. I hated like, you know, I, that was not my personality. And so I felt like I was kind of escaping it. Um, and then it turns out like my first roommates, both of them were, um, were, were basketball players and they were not there, uh, for that purpose at all. Yeah. I mean, they were nice people. Um, but there was lots of fights and arguments and I ended up moving like, four doors down or something um with a girl from orchestra who had become really close friends with um and she kind of ended up being my more permanent roommate the rest of the year but um yeah i just <laughs> i just remember crying a lot i mean i was 17 oh. when i i was 17 when i first moved yeah. down there because i was i have I'm an october birthday and yeah. you know Back then, yeah. they let you start school when you were yeah. still four. My wife did the same thing. She she arrived at college at seventeen. October yeah. birthday. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I didn't even have my driver's license. I yeah. didn't. I hadn't done any of that stuff yet, and was kind of like, well, what's the point? You know, I'm living on campus, and I can just eat in the dining commons. You know. Yeah. Um. And also, I just want to point out we we are exposing something about Christian schools people may not know about is that most of the sports people 
aren't Christian. You know, they recruited the, to play yeah, no. sports. They and at recruit, APU, they didn't even everywhere. have to go to chapel. You know, like, um, oh, they like let them get out of chapel. For yeah, them? for sure, the football team. Um, oh, I don't know, maybe the other sports. I think it was it was on a per sport basis, but yeah, it, it was. I don't uh, think we even had a football team. Yeah, I think we just it was basketball was like the big thing when I was there. Yeah. So Which anyway, I feel like yeah, no, it's yeah, it that was shocking to me. I mean, because I was I knew nothing. Yeah. You know? No, you're starting to see how the sausage is made in these Christian schools. It's, yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, and it's funny because. I can remember being in high school and, you know, getting, I forget which magazine it was that used to come in the mail, some Christian teenager magazine, but it would have all these ads for Christian colleges. It was probably like Brio or something. I don't know, but it would have all these, uh, you know, ads in there for Christian universities. And I can remember thinking, oh, I'm so lucky that I live on the West coast and that we have a school like Vanguard because <laughs> at least it's not you know, Bob Jones, at least yeah. it's not <laughs> like all these other ones that are yeah. like where the girls, you know, Liberty. really do sit on the other side of the chapel, you know, yeah. by themselves and have to wear dresses and, you know, pantyhose and things yeah. like that, you know, so yeah. I thought I was. You're at the liberal I I, school. I, yeah. Oh, yeah. We were definitely like we thought we were super liberal, even though we did have to sign a contract saying that we wouldn't go out and engage in any social dancing and we would yeah. not watch right at our movies. Yeah. So we had to do, we did have to sign those contracts. Wow. So did you watch any R rated movies? Probably not. Cause I was poor and I didn't have a car, but <laughs> <laughs> I do remember we had like a code word for going out dancing. We would say that like we're going bowling. <laughs> and so that's like still a thing like in our like in my family, like my, for some reason, like my parents remember that. And like, now they joke about it. Like bowling. my dad would be like, did you go bowling? Like when I was younger, like when my husband and I were like a lot younger, like dating, oh, you're going bowling. Like if we were going out, you know, with friends. And so, you know, it's, it's weird stuff. I can remember girls like getting married super young, being super excited to get married, you know, when they were like sophomores and juniors just so they could yeah. have sex you know yep. I, one of our like temporary roommates at one time because we lived in a triple our room is a triple and we had a couple different girls come and go in the year that we were there i don't even know what's up with that that's weird but i remember one of them i can specifically remember her and her boyfriend they had been together since high school and they went to one of the marriage counselors on campus and the marriage counselor told them that they just needed to get married because that was the only way that they were going to be able to resist the temptation yeah. to have sex. Such great so they, advice. So yeah. they, and they did, they got married and they yeah. went and lived in the married housing. You know, so they had married housing. housing. Oh yeah. They, oh yeah. So they APU had married housing. So if, if you got married, really? you were kind of fucked. Um, you were you had out. to go find your own housing because wow. not even yeah, married it had moved. Sex. It had moved a couple times. Like it used to be on campus in like these older buildings a lot of the campus of vanguard used to be old army barracks i don't know if a lot of people uh, know that or not but a lot of them used to be old army barracks and yeah. uh or national guard or something and so the the married apartments used to be on campus married housing but then they they actually i don't know if they built or if they just bought like a little apartment complex it's actually i think it's like across the freeway like across, on the other side of the 55, like there's like a 
overpass there and that's where the married housing is and then the old sex on that side of the freeway (laughs) yeah and then the old married housing became like the downstairs were like some of the professor's offices and then the upstairs were senior apartments so that was like where seniors lived if seniors still lived on campus so did you know if that person um stayed married for i don't know honestly i can't great for the people who get married in college i can't i can't remember like honestly i can't remember her name that sounds terrible but it was a while ago yeah i'm terrible with names i can remember her face but um i don't think they were from california i want to say they were like from like the midwest yeah or something but the fact that the counselor some someone whose profession is to give oh yeah sage advice is saying oh yeah yeah just get married (laughs) all all your problems will be solved if you get married because you just you just really need to have sex yeah just, so you just needed to get married. Yeah, go go live on the other side of the freeway and, and <laughs> <laughs> have sex oh, like three times. Tracks. Have bad sex like three times, and you'll be done. It's the probably it's a, terrible sex. Yeah, get it out of your system. Yeah. All right. Um, such such great, great <laughs> support great. systems in place for the students of Vanguard. It really, you know. Yeah. So did, was were, were all these things, um, were you taking it in stride or were you kind of like starting to question the systems or the even the, the religious um, parts? Or I think I was definitely starting to question. I always questioned whether or not I really belonged. Yeah. Like I never really felt like I fit um, any kind of mold that I was supposed to. Um, I, uh, I wanted to desperately, I think I wanted to just, you know, be accepted and, you know, and I do remember a few really, you know, great moments where I, you know, at the time formed very close friendships. I'm not friends with most of those people now, just we lost touch over the years or whatnot, but At the time, I do remember it feeling very life-giving and not because it had anything to do with Christianity, though. We just had a lot in common. We were goofy together. We could be ourselves together. Um, But I definitely, you know, it was when I found out I wasn't going to go back, which was like in the spring. You know, my parents were like, we can't take out this size alone every year, you know, right. for four years. And yeah. we're not going to let you do that. It was at that point where, you know, it kind of started to fall apart because it was like, whoa, but if God was so faithful to provide, like why all of a sudden is God not providing now? And what yeah. does this mean for my future? You yeah. know? Um, so you were sad is... to leave then. It wasn't like. Oh, I was. Up. I was devastated. I think I kind of like shut down sort Aww. of. I can remember I. Um, a couple classes I just, some of them I finished strong, but a couple of them I just kind of stopped going. Like I stopped going to like all my vocal rehearsals, like for like my solo stuff. Like I remember, I don't think I did my solo recital at the end of the year because I just didn't, I just kind of like didn't care. I just sort of gave up. Didn't matter. And I was like, well, yeah, like if I'm not going to do music, I'm not going to do ministry in that way, then what does it matter? And I was still kind of clinging to this, 
moment I had, I think it was like my senior year in high school or during like a, like an altar call service or something. I went down to the front because I really felt like I had been called into ministry. Um, and I was still kind of clinging to that. And I did cling to that for a long, long time. I mean, that was the reason I ended up on staff at other churches later in my twenties. Um, because I, I think as I got older, there were some things that I weren't, wasn't sure if it was real or not. But for some reason, like that moment, I just kept clinging to thinking, well, that was the only real thing I knew. The only time I felt like I actually heard some calling and it wasn't like, you know, the right progression of chords to give me goosebumps. It was like, <laughs> actually, I, like it felt, you know, like it felt real. Yeah. Um, and, and it felt like my own. It didn't feel like something I was inheriting from my family. It didn't feel, it was the only thing that didn't feel like it was pressured upon me. Like, this is what you must be. And of all the things throughout my life in that belief system, music was the only positive constant. It was the only thing that did bring me joy no matter what. You know, that there's no negative connotation associated with it yeah. aside from the terrible theology and the lyrics but i mean <laughs> as far as personal experiences go it was always positive and we're back to music big surprise huh even with the shitty christian lyrics expressing questionable theology and oversimplified views of god and jesus music gave m a feeling of belonging and purpose if this resonates at all with you, and you haven't already listened, definitely check out the episodes this season with Prisca and Jazz Robertson, um, and read my book. <laughs> Music was something that made deconstructing almost easy. A almost. But M found herself at a crossroads of sorts. One thing I remember always being confused about as a Christian was having a prayer seemingly answered with much celebration and fanfare, only to have it rescinded, taken away. Now, having to leave Vanguard in the grand scheme of things was good, but at the time, it hurt. It's like when Prisca got kicked off the worship team she was leading. It eventually became good, but man, it sucked. These kinds of events can lead to good things, especially when they lead us away from evangelical Christianity. But God damn it, it hurts for a while. And so, yeah, I think feeling like I had some kind of, you know, calling in music and, or ministry and then not getting to go back. I, you know, when I moved back home, I just sort of, I don't know. I think I just kind of felt, you know, I felt like a failure, you know, like, I, what am uh, I going to do now? You know, yeah. everybody at this junior college that, you know, in the community college of the town where I was from, you know, it was kind of notorious for where like people never leave. Like they just stay there forever. No, like, does anybody ever transfer anywhere? I think my whole life I knew like two people who transferred places, you know, okay. Three, if you count my husband, but like, he counts. Yeah. He counts. Yeah. yeah. But it just, uh, so it just felt really 
Like I was, it kind of felt like this doomed feeling, you know, like I'm just going to go back and flounder around and not really. um, And that was, you know, I came back home and my parents had switched churches. So they had switched from a non-denominational. There had been a big blow up at that church. So they ended up back at the actual assemblies of God in town. And it's definitely, you know, it was definitely one of those churches where the people in my age group at the time, you know, 19, 20, um, there wasn't a real place for them. You know, there wasn't a, you know, there wasn't a big booming college ministry, you know, all the co- the college ministry were like the rejects. They were like the people who just oh. didn't move away or move out yeah. of their parents' house or didn't get into a four-year college, you know, or, um, so it was like touch and go. I, I'd go for a little while with them. I might volunteer. I might chaperone a youth thing. Cause my brother was in, my little brother was in high school at the time and my parents were youth leaders, but then I'd spend months, you know, sort of doing my own thing. I was still living at home, but, um, I had met my husband sort of in that time. We met like in 2002. Um, and we partied a lot back then. Hey. <laughs> we had friends at Cal Poly, so we would drive up to San Luis Obispo and we'd okay. party a lot. Um, to explain that a little bit. So are you when when you say you party, I assume like drinking and carousing. So um Yeah. Were you feeling guilty about that at the time or were you just there like fuck it, this let's I'm young, let's just do this? Um, it was like fuck it, I'm young and I you know I tried it the other way and it didn't seem to work. So I'm just going to do my own thing. Yeah. I was, they tried, like my my family tried to make me feel guilty about it. You know, I remember a lot of snide remarks about, you know, you know, like being a heathen because I didn't go to church on Sunday with my parents. Um, It was like, it was done as like a, like an elbow jab sort of, you know, like it was never like in a cruel way. It was just kind of more like in a, something to make me roll my eyes kind of thing. Hmm. Um, and I mean, there was probably more to it than that. I probably blocked some shit out. Let's be real. But, um, understand. I, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I kind of went through a phase where I was just like, well, fuck it. You know, I, I tried being faithful and listen, listening to a calling on my life yeah. and try to make that happen. And it didn't work. Yeah. It was a dead end. So, yeah. So now, you know, um, and in the back of my mind, you know, I had started dating my husband and in the back of my mind, there was also like this, well, you know, eventually we'll kind of grow up and get married and have kids and then I'll fit in again. Then I'll have a place again in the church because I will meet all the requirements. Yeah. To be a presentable, a full-fledged Christian, Christian woman, woman. Yeah. Yes, married with because, children. You need you need to have both. Right. Right. Yeah. So I think I, in my mind, I was just like, oh, eventually I'll go back to that when there's a place for me. But right now there's no place for me. So. So you didn't rush off to get married so you could have sex and make children. We did not. We did, we did not do that. We uh, sometimes we kind of wished we'd gotten married younger, just so that like we weren't as old as we are now, chasing small children around. <laughs> Maybe we would have had more energy. <laughs> I don't know. Um, no, we uh, earlier on in the relationship, he really he knew that. How do I word this nicely? 
Oh, fuck it. His parents are never going to listen to this. He doesn't care. Um, <laughs> he's estranged from them anyway. He doesn't care. Uh, he was a lot more concerned with pleasing them earlier on in our relationship. Obviously, we were younger. We were in our early 20s. Yeah. And he knew how important it was to them for him to finish college first. So he was really working towards that goal before we got engaged and got married. We ended up getting engaged when he was like in his last year at Fresno State. And then we got married um, the year after he graduated. So, I mean. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah, we, we did kind of like put things off. But also at the same time, we weren't actively attending or involved in a church anywhere together during that time. Um, And in fact, (laughs) so sad. I actually broke up with him a couple of times when we were dating because I was petrified that he, you know, had been raised Catholic and that he was never going to understand our way of Christianity. Yeah. Um, The right way. Well, obviously, because yeah. Catholics go to hell. Yeah. I mean, yeah. they worship Mary. Yeah. That's an idol. Yeah. Come on now. You needed to save um, him. I did. I, yeah. Um, at least according to my. Yeah. Parents. No, we're, yeah, we're being um, facetious. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, we didn't, we didn't rush into it um, for that reason, though. I think if. If we had been attending a church somewhere, it probably would have been a different story. But a lot of that yeah, time, be we were social actually pressure. living. You know, you guys right, been dating but we were we were living weeks. in different cities, and then for a little while, we were living in different states. Like oh, hey. I was working a job, and I went and I was living in Texas for a little bit, and then Texas. It wasn't. I know it's a long story. <laughs> don't even you don't even want to know. Oh, oh. Okay, well. it's it's <laughs> for six months. It was bad. okay, um, and. I, so when I came back to California, my parents had moved away from our, um, like the hometown we'd been living in, my husband's hometown. They had moved away to go take care of my grandparents because they were aging. And so I was like, well, if I'm going to move back and we're together and we know that we're going to end up eventually get married, then I'm going to move to where you are. So that's how I ended up in Fresno with him. Um, where did you grow up before that? I forgot to ask. Uh, Santa Maria, California. Okay, yeah. so Northern on the Central California. Coast, yeah, yeah. very yeah. pretty. Uh, yeah, like Central Coast, like Central California. Yeah, see, I'm in yeah, LA. Like... Everything's north for me, so <laughs> <laughs> it's just like an hour north of Santa Barbara. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, um, I was just there like a few months ago up up in that area. So yeah, it's beautiful. Oh, were you really? Yeah, yeah it is. It's. It's pretty. My husband was went down recently. I haven't been back in a while. My parents live in Arizona now, so I don't have a reason to ever go back there. Oh. But unless we take our kids to the beach or something. But <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So I I moved to Fresno and uh, okay, we got so engaged. engaged. Yeah, we got engaged, and then one Sunday, uh, Easter Sunday, I want to say two thousand eight. That doesn't make a lot of sense. No, yeah, I guess it was okay. 2008. A while ago. Uh, yeah. We were like, it's Easter. Maybe we should go to church. <laughs> oh, no. We were feeling kind of guilty about that. And my husband had graduated, or he was, he had heard about a church, I think, from some other students at, because he hadn't quite graduated quite yet. He was about to graduate in like a month. And he had heard about this church from some friends, I think, at, <clears throat> Uh, at at Fresno State, um, which makes sense now because actually the pastor of that church is a former 
Fresno State football star from like the 80s. Um, and he was like, yeah, I hear all these good things about it. Like I hear it's not like a, like not like a lot of other churches. You know, it's really there's a lot of young people, it's, a lot of college it's cool students, young and families. relatable. It's cool and hip. Yeah. And, you know, everyone's welcome. Were there cool sneakers? I use air, air quotes. <laughs> yeah. Graf- he was even no. He was. He was. He was even tattoos. too cool for that. Oh. It was like he was like, like we're so cool that you know we don't need to pass an offering plate. We can just put a box in the back of the sanctuary, which back then was like a very. Uh, he was like, you know, like other pastors, older pastors, the older generation was like, that's stupid. What are you doing? You'll never have enough, you know, tithe to run your church that way. Um, And so because they were bringing in enough tithe to support the church by just having these boxes in the back, it was like this point of pride for them Um, that they were kind of like sticking it to the man because they were like doing it differently. (laughs) Um, so it's is just, the, I just, is the thinking, just pure arrogance. It's just arrogance. Yeah, it's, it's like, kind of bizarre. It's like, so the thinking is when you pass the plates, it's like in front of everybody. So you, yeah. can, you, it's a performance it. of you putting, there's my, here's my money, or right. here's my envelope or my check. And, and, and a, a method of conviction. Yeah. You know, if I'm touching the basket and it's going in front yeah. of me. And then you pass it without putting something in. Right, People you feel like, the sting is, more. What is up with that, the sinner? Right. Yeah. Although, can't so you, by you, putting could, the, you could make a show of walking past the box too, though, couldn't you? Be like, oh yeah, here is my money, oh, yeah. and I'm putting in the box. Woo-hoo. <laughs> Do a little dance. Oh my gosh, a little end zone dance. Yeah, I. So I don't know if I you buy. Know, I don't know if I buy that rebellion. Like uh, I, think, I don't. Oh. I think they're just making something big out of nothing. It sounds like. Oh, ab- absolutely. I mean, that you pretty much just summed up everything because at the end of the day, what it all boiled down to is they were just super Calvinist, and it was like they just sort of did everything in a way. They just sort of framed it all in a way to kind of make it seem appealing. To people. Yeah. But then once you were in, the way I just described it recently to somebody is like, once you're in, and when I say in, I mean either in leadership, on staff, or leadership, it's like, you know, you're kind of like a frog that's being like boiled alive in a pot of water, but you don't know that you're being boiled alive. Yeah. That's that's kind of- That feels like most uh, church experiences, so yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um. Because, yeah, at the time, we really didn't, we had no idea what we were getting into. I mean, there were definitely things that made us uncomfortable. Oh, but, like what? But we were told that that was like the Holy Spirit or something like convicting Oh, it's, it's good. Lean into the discomfort. It's <laughs> Yeah, yes, you're sin- yes. Because you're a sinner and you're You're speaking sinful, the language now, Scott. <laughs> your sinful nature just can't handle this godliness. It can't, han- it can't handle when somebody is speaking the truth in love to you. If I ever hear that phrase ever again, I gonna gonna cut someone. I, yeah. I probably will. Yeah, I, I hate that phrase because of that place. Because so, that phrase was used weaponized. But so in much. retrospect, do you think that that those years when you were not going to church and kind of living your life without all that 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 had to have had an impact on 
your perspective when you went into this sort of crazy church? I mean, or did it, it? for sure? It well, it did, but I think also in my mind, uh, I think I was still in the place where, in the back of my mind, I still felt like all those years I was probably doing something wrong. Oh, um, but. I didn't have any concern about like seeking forgiveness. Like, I guess I felt like in my mind, I would be forgiven for all those things, but I still, (laughs) there's also the factor of, okay, so the calling I thought I had in my life, you know, like music ministry or whatever, like that didn't work out. I'm not really that good at anything else. I didn't, you know, have like a, super set career. I mean, I was doing like accounting, but I didn't, I still didn't get like a four-year degree or anything in anything. I just did it because I was good at it and I needed money. I needed to live. Sure. You know? Yeah. Um, And so in the back of my mind, I still thought, well, then surely because at the time I didn't know that the Bible doesn't actually say this anywhere, <laughs> but at the time I thought that, you know, my highest calling was to be a wife and a mother. And so I thought, well, for sure, that must be the thing that I'm going to be really good at because nothing else has worked out and I'm not really good enough at anything else. So I must still, this must be the thing I'm going to be really good at. And so that must be the thing I'm waiting for now. Um, and so everything else sort of felt like limbo. Everything else sort of felt like an in-between time, like a waiting time until that thing was finally going to happen. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Um, and I just have to say, I didn't realize you had the actual like singing background because you came down to my book release and we did lots of karaoke. <laughs> yes, you did. And I was like, wow, damn, M can sing. Like. Oh, oh, wow. So you're so nice because I was so high, sir. I don't. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's funny. The whole gang gang was high, but. um... (laughs) But that was the first time that I ever sang high. So. Uh, That was such a good time. I know. Ben was was playing guitar and he's like, I don't remember what I was playing because I was kind of high. I was like, that was good. It was good. He was so good. Yeah. It was awesome. It was amazing. Um, Oh, that was a good memory. Oh. Um, so sorry. Um, yeah, no, so that's okay. We're back to church, and so yeah. you're being told shit that just is unbearable. And so, are you? <laughs> do you feel like you're at a turning point at this point? Then you're you're sort of like, uh, what is this worth it? Is do I want to? I I I was definitely still trying when I was there. We got married. I was on staff. Um. I wonder if I should tell the story of my two weddings and why I had two weddings because it's really related to this. Sure. I will try to keep it brief. Okay. Two weddings. So. (sighs) Okay. You're about to hear one of the more bizarre stories. And that's saying something about purity culture, sex, marriage. Ooh, not that sex and marriage have much in common in Christianity, but uh, oof. Christians are strange people, right? So just listen as we go forward here. Just listen to the many layers of shittiness here. 
the bizarre logic, the unfounded fears, the absolute rule that sex is only for marriage, even when it's not, appearances are more important than reality. Uh, this one's painful, but very informative. So this, um, I was on staff. So timeline, I came on staff like September of that year, which was 2008. We were planting another church campus. We were a multi-site church. So we were planting another church campus in the neighborhood where we were already living. So that's kind of how we became part of planting that campus. Um, I had been hired to do like 20 hours a week. I was part of that campus team as their kids coordinator working under a children's director. She was a director because she was a woman. She couldn't be a children's pastor. No, of she course. Was a director. Yeah, that goes without saying. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, and then the other 20 hours of the week, I was like in the office helping the financial administrator doing just like bookkeeping stuff. So I was like entering people's tithe and the database and boring just data entry stuff. Um, that fall, I was still just engaged at the time. We weren't married yet. Um, but my husband, bless his heart, he was like all in, man. He like, he dove in with both feet. He bought in. He was trying so hard. Like, I mean, in a lot of ways, I feel bad sometimes that I like kind of roped him into it. I mean, he's his own person and he made his own choices, sure. but sometimes. But like, that's a big a thing, like leaving Catholicism <laughs> for this. Um, oh yeah. I mean, it was, I mean, he got baptized. God, oh my oh, gosh. I don't think about it. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Um, Moment of silence for his... <laughs> For my side, my husband being baptized. Poor oh, Um. So, like, I hadn't been on staff very long, maybe just a couple of months. And it's like October. My now husband had been renting an apartment with his brother. I had my own my own apartment. I had because I had had my own job before I was the church, but um. He had had an apartment with his brother, but he and his brother had a big blow up. His brother's a, mm. he's a fucking asshole. Mm. He's an alcoholic. He was, he was oh, awful. No. He, I mean, he's, yeah, we're estranged from them now. I mean, he's, okay. there's a whole mess. Anyway, his parents basically like sided with his brother and brought his brother back home and let him move in with them. And of course they got rid of the apartment. So their aunt was living there at the time. And she was like, well, you, she told my husband, you can come live with me. But he moved a lot of like his, some of the furniture and stuff into my place. Um, that's like second base and, for a Christian couple, isn't it? That's, uh, that's yeah. Really and I mean, he was staying over, I mean, he was staying over a lot too, you know, and we were having, you know, we would have dinner together every night and stuff. Yeah. So apparently just from me, like mentioning that he was at my place a lot, and he had started staying over at my place. And so I guess behind my back, my boss, like the finance person, she went to my campus pastor and then he went to the executive pastor and they had this big meeting about of me. Of course they did. And then they dragged me into an office and said, look, if you want to keep this job, you guys need to be married if you're living together. And at the time, like I was explaining to them, like, look, we're really only in this, like for financial reasons. Like there's no way 
that we could support two separate rents, you know, on two different apartments yeah. right now. And you're engaged at this um, point? We were engaged. Yeah. yeah. Our wedding was planned for the following May, oh, for the following yeah. spring. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> not by our choice. We actually would have got married sooner, but uh, his family wanted a really big wedding. Oh, okay. He has a huge family. Anyway, so they were like, basically, you need to be married if you're going to keep living together. And I'm like, we're like, well, financially, we have to keep living together. So, <laughs> it sounds so stupid when I say it all loud. Oh, my God. Scott, I was so brainwashed. Well, most of our, our past <laughs> life sounds like this. So, <laughs> just lean into it. Just just go. Our, our campus pastor, um, Dave, he's like, well, you know what? Um, at the end of this month, I was like, I don't know if it was before or after my birthday. No, it was after. So maybe it was like the first weekend in November or something. We were going to have a, a staff retreat for just our campus, like a little mini staff retreat. One of our missions director had a, a cabin up at Shaver. A lot of people at the church had cabins up at Shaver Lake. And we're going to go up there for the weekend. And if you guys want to come up like for the night, for the evening, and we'll like do like a little ceremony. You guys go get your marriage license. And... A couple of the other people knew about it. One other couple knew about it. But the rest of them, it was all kind of sprung on them. Like, they didn't know. It was like a surprise. Surprise. And a couple of the other wives, like, went out and, like, gathered pine cones. And that was my bouquet. Pine cone bouquet. And we had a ceremony in front of this fireplace at this cabin in Shaver. And at the time, it was, like, framed as, like, this joyful cool thing we were doing it felt kind of like eloping uh my parents were kind of pissed his parents were kind of pissed did you tell them them we did because our pastor was like i and the pastor that married us who was our campus pastor he was the same pastor that was doing the the big wedding the following year like so he's in on it he's in on it and he said i'm not he's he's like i won't do it unless you tell your parents oh fuck so we did tell them um we kept trying to convince them, like, look, this is the reason. It's for financial reasons, you know. Well, it's like, for, it's for church reasons. <laughs> right, but financial reasons. Because I also didn't want my parents to think that I'm in this weird, like, cult-like church that's, like, yeah. making me get married. <laughs> um, <laughs> so we got married and then we uh in front of a fireplace in shaver lake and then I mean, we drove back down into town in the pouring rain and went through the drive through it in and out and went and sat on our couch and ate in and out and watching tv and that was our wedding night it was awesome um it's actually that it, part was kind of perfect i was gonna say i, I i'm down with all that that's <laughs> yeah it was kind of great um but then yeah once it got to our but my parents and his parents and our pastor and then like, you know, that small group of friends that were there that night, those were the only people who knew that we were already married all the way until yeah. our big wedding. So like none of the other family knew we were married already because we were told that it would be so hurtful. We would hurt everybody if, you know, because apparently your wedding is about everybody else. It's not about you. It would hurt everybody yeah. if they knew we were already married. Um. It really kind of turned me off on weddings, to be honest, the whole entire experience. 
experience. I'm like, what's a wedding? Yeah. It's a what's what's marriage anyway? It's a fucking piece of paper. It I is. have to have this piece of paper that says that I'm married so that I can still keep doing this job and I can yeah. be accepted in this place. And you can cohabit and so I, yes. with someone. And I think I just blocked a lot of it out because then I'm like, okay, now I'm married. <laughs> and so now we can be in like a couple's life group together with other married couples, which was like, Ooh, you know, the small So you leveled up like, there in the church though. So that was, Oh yeah. yeah. I mean, I was like working my way up to what I thought was going to be my place in life. Wow. Um, okay. All right. So just for the sake of time, you, you, yeah. cause I want to talk about, this is great. Cause it's leading into the purity culture shit. Um, so yeah. what do you remember the point where you're just like fuck this I, I need to get out well we moved away from that place we moved away from Fresno and that was why we left that church um, but I still held them in my mind they were still kind of like on a pedestal like they were still like the bar yeah. to reach for many for several years after that um, it actually wasn't until years later after I'd had my son, um, and, uh, he was probably, I don't know, 18 months, two years old. And I was like, wow, this fucking sucks. I don't think I'm really that great at this. I don't think this was the thing I was meant to do either. Oh. In fact, I think I would like to have a brain of my own and be like thinking about something else besides changing diapers and yeah. potty training and cutting up food into tiny bits. <laughs> Um, all day long. Um, and, uh, I tried, we, we were going to a church here in town and where we're living now. And, um, I ended up being on stop there again, cause you know, that's what I do when I sit in a church for longer than three months. I'm like, Oh, I got to volunteer for something. Cause I'm not, you know, I can't just warm a pew, you know? And then of course, like a fucking idiot, I end up working there, but, um, well, you might as well, might as well take that, their money too. So that, that pastor was like a, total narcissist the one i worked for here i mean he was just awful and um that was the that was the moment you know that was the fall of 2016 so that you know Ooh, when you're talking about like in a political yeah. climate it's like a whole Gee, what happened in the fall of 2016 <laughs> let me see that's seven years ago i um, mean oh right there was an election oh there was an election and the and Christians lost their goddamn minds or, or just revealed their, their goddamn minds. minds. Yeah. I, so I, that off. was, that was that. Yes. That was the, that was sort of the tipping point for me was that whole, uh, experience, yeah. um, was when we left there and then we never really landed anywhere after that. And then I think it was like 2018. That's when I sort of started to find people on Twitter and that realm, um, somebody told me about Rachel Held Evans book, uh, searching for Sunday. Um, that was probably the first book I read by anyone who had any kind of like voice of dissent when it came to the regular, you know, the, the mainstream yeah. conservative evangelical yeah. institution. And I remember just reading her book and just sitting there sobbing, oh, thinking, shit. oh my gosh, I'm not, I'm not just the only rebellious kid, you know? And it was very, it was just very identifying for me because we were the same age. 
you know, I reading her words felt very much like, you know, there's some people when you read their writing, you're like, wow, this person was inside my head. How'd they do that? That's kind of wow, freaky. Yeah. She's one of those writers. Um, and that was kind of what started helping me find other people online and other communities online. That's how I eventually found out who, who Blake was and yeah. uh, Chastain and then Chrissy and Chrissy Stroop. And I, the rest, as they say, is history. Yeah. Once I realized, oh, there's other people who had these similar experiences in similar churches. And maybe I'm not just a fuck up. Maybe I'm not just, maybe, maybe I, maybe it wasn't just me that I just couldn't hack it as a good Christian girl. So you felt like the faith was, was waning, if not had disappeared or gone away. And you felt like it was a failure at that time. Well, yeah, in a lot of ways, I felt, and the more I looked back and thought about it, you know, I realized how much of my life had just been performative. Mm. Um, and some of that is the ADHD too. You know, a lot of times I was just masking just to fit in because yeah. deep down I knew I was different and that my brain worked differently, yeah. but I saw that as a character flaw. So I just, you know... I just always thought I didn't have enough faith, right. that I wasn't disciplined enough, that wow. I didn't believe enough, you know, and I was just, I used to be really, really hard on myself. Um, <laughs> I can remember the first time I read, when I was still a Christian, when I read uh Max Licato's book um, in the grip of grace, which is where he walks through all of Romans. And the first time I read that, I can remember being so deeply moved because I was like, Oh, finally I get it. <laughs> it's okay. If I hate myself, cause Paul totally hates himself <laughs> and he hates women. Yeah. And so I guess I really am just supposed to be like this. Oh shit. Um, it was a really looking back on it now, like it's so fucking bleak. Yeah, that's dark. <laughs> but like, you know, and I think it was like when we found, you know, the church in Fresno that we were at. You know, I had spent my whole life up to that point in really charismatic churches, like Pentecostal churches. So when I get to this church in Fresno, you know, and they're all like, "Oh no, you need an ESV." You know, you've been reading the NIV. Well, no wonder you know you haven't felt you know write about it. You need an ESV. <laughs> and at the time I didn't know what Calvinism was, but they were totally Calvinist. Now I know that. ESV? But yeah, ESV. Oh. Yeah. English standard version. Yeah. It's like the woman hater yeah. one. I call it like the He-Man woman haters book. It's like the He-Man yeah. woman haters version. Of I the mean, Bible. they all are the he women hater. Um... But that one was drafted specifically right. by like John Piper right. and friends because all the other versions weren't He-Man woman hater enough. Right. So they had to like, you know, yeah. um, but I was oblivious to that when I was sure. in it at the time. But like looking back on it now, I was like, oh, yeah, I got to that church and I was like, oh, I just don't have enough knowledge. Oh. I was in these other denominations that were relying too much on feelings. Right. And that's why I could never have the right feeling because who can measure feelings, right? Like, 
I need to have enough knowledge and enough education. I just need to educate myself more about the Bible. Then I felt like I was just reading, I was catching up on like your old emails. And when you talk about the guy that reviewed your book, that was like, you just didn't have like the right historical, like cultural understanding understanding of of the the Bible. Bible. It's like, (laughs) that was me. That was me in that place. Like in my late twenties, I was like, Oh, I just didn't understand it well enough. I just had shitty pastors and I just didn't, you know, I felt like I'd had the wool pulled over my eyes my whole life. You know, no one ever just told me the right way. But then when you really do study it, you realize, oh, this is shitty. (laughs) This is, this makes zero sense. Yeah. Motherfucker, I did study the Bible and probably know it better than you. And and it's like, don't tell me I I didn't. Yeah. Anyway, (laughs) it's like, yeah, no, for real. And I didn't, I don't think I really even gave my self permission to say those things out loud. I would say till like fall of 2019 is when I, I went to evolving faith that year. Uh, of course, Rachel had died earlier that year in the spring, but everybody still came together in Denver and I flew out by myself, something I'd never done before. Didn't really know anybody. I knew a couple people from Twitter. That was pretty much it. Um, but I was like, I'm going to go and do this thing. And Pete ends stood up there and spoke during his session and just said, you know, I'm just going to come right out and be out with it. Like he's like, I've pretty much been an atheist for the last year. Like that's just where I'm at in my life. You know, at his, that time in his life. And then like the next morning, uh, uh, Rachel's widower, Dan got up there, um, uh, at the platform and just said flat out, I don't believe in God anymore. And at that time, it was kind of what I needed to hear. It was like, I needed to be in a place where people were just, had felt, you know, where there were other people like me who kind of felt like used, spit out, kicked around, beat up by the church, and were just fed up. Yeah. And I needed permission to feel fed up and to be done with it. Wow. And that's 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 where I came into the scene, right? Because I remember yeah. the first... Yeah, <laughs> it was like right around that time. Yeah, I think it was the end of 2019. Um, where yeah. I, Christy kind of found me and put me on that thread with y'all. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I felt so like out of my depth because I... <laughs> What are you kidding? I was like, look at, at least like, you had like written a you had written a book. It wasn't published yet, but at least well, you like wrote the thing. I was like nobody. I was like a mom blogger, Scott. Like I literally blogged like recipes. I okay, don't know. I, I was intimidated by <laughs> by M's because uh, you've been you've been around. You knew, like you oh knew these gosh. people, and I'm like the new guy, and everyone's probably wondering who the fuck is this. Oh um, my gosh! You know me with I, I think I had like um, I had under fifty followers at that point on on Twitter. When, when, oh my gosh, that's when funny. Chris, because I had, I, you know, I signed up when everyone else did in like 2012 and never used it. And so, right, yeah. I got back on at a friend's urging and um, Chrissy found me somehow. And um, the rest is history for she me. She does that. Yeah, totally. <laughs> right. And, um, and I remember you were one of the first to put me on a podcast um, 
one of the first of the ex-evangelical no. folks. And so, so yeah, so you well, you had a or have or had a podcast, and you yes the thing it's still out there. Um, I'm sorry, I'm blanking on the name right now. Um, the uh. Oh, the podcast. Yeah. The podcast is called the life. The she life wrote. she wrote. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I was mixing it up with um, yeah. with Megan's <laughs> original name. Uh, oh, per- pursuing life. I knew it had life in there. Oh, pursuing life. <laughs> yeah, anyway, yeah. Um, that's right. The life she wrote, and you you started out just guns blazing about purity culture. You did like three. It was like a three part <laughs> series. And uh, I think it was four, actually five. five. Okay, yeah, it, shit. Um, it should have been. It should have been three. I don't know. No, what I no, was because it be wasn't honest. just you talking. <laughs> it's, you, you did research. You, you had people write in with their their horror stories and really shined yeah. just this direct light on the shit that is purity culture. And you've and now we've sort of danced around it in this conversation. You know, yeah. sex is like the worst thing and especially women having sex men can have sex and they can fuck up and they'll be like well it's men you know what are you gonna do um but women having sex is just horrifying to to this culture and so oh yeah you're you're used up nobody else wants you what was it like a piece of gum or uh like all all the analogies are so demeaning and dehumanizing (laughs) um yeah and the the fear of of women's sexuality drives i feel like most of the culture and the values and the rules of of fundamentalist evangelical sure. christianity and oh yeah um yeah and i yeah, it, go ahead. It, it i think it fuels it also fuels just the uh traditional gender roles oh totally as well too, you know and patriarchy and um uh, oh yeah it's all intertwined together yeah. and in the west well in other parts of the world but it's also deeply ingrained with white supremacist culture too it's um i think that was one of the biggest revelations for me when i was doing research for that series was um uh, was actually I was listening to right around the same time I was listening to an episode of actually Brad Anishi's podcast Straight White American Jesus and he had on an author Audrey Claire Farley and she had just been writing a book about um, uh, the eugenicist movement um, in the yeah. in the U.S. Yeah. in the turn of Early the century twentieth century yeah yeah and um, mm. in her research she had found that uh, James Dobson. Yeah who, of course, we all know, you know, focus on the family, um, started out his career in psychology working for a eugenicist in Southern California, a very famous um, eugenicist named Paul Popino. And I heard that and my brain just like sort of exploded. Like I just all of a sudden it all became very clear to me that there was a much darker sinister thing at play and i know this is gonna sound kind of crazy but in a way it sort of allowed and i i don't like using this term a lot but i don't have a better way to say it it allowed me kind of to have a little more grace for people like my parents sure who were evangelized into that culture and who raised us you know on a lot of dobson's stuff if you will but there's literally no way they they would have had no way of knowing what that man's history was or who he was before that, you know, the internet didn't exist back then. This was in the, you know, 
mid to late eighties, um, early nineties. And we lived in a small town, very isolated. There was no way they would have known. Um, and it just kind of makes you stop and think about the scope of impact that work like his had on purity culture and how it has trickled down throughout denominations and you know even just recently here a lot of people were talking about you know the documentary that came out about the the Douglas those shiny happy people admittedly i only watched the first two episodes because i already knew all that shit i didn't really need to (sighs) rewatch it and i was kind of like i'm out but I spent the entire time I was watching it because my husband was he was kind of interested. He wanted to watch sure. it. He didn't know as much about the Duggars. And I spent the entire time, besides yelling at the TV, yeah. pausing it to explain to him how, even though my parents wouldn't even know. They don't know who the fuck Bill Gothard no. is. They don't know what that. They've never seen that graphic of the umbrella. But the concept. Yeah, very familiar had been trickled down maybe in a more watered down version throughout every denomination in evangelicalism in this country. And so whether you, it's like the tentacles were just so far reaching and they kept showing these maps in the documentary of like the Midwest sort of, and parts of the South where like, you know, Gothard had his little institutes or whatever, but um, that map is shit because it didn't matter what evangelical church you went to the United yeah. States at some point in the eighties and nineties, that ideology stuck. And in a lot of cases, you know, there might be denominations who went and found chapter and verse to support whatever those things were, um, you know, twisting it around to make it, you know, apply to them. So it just, it makes me sad because, and I think sometimes in some ways that's kind of, I've taken a step back lately from Twitter and a lot of that stuff. And I think it's just, it just seems like no matter how much we pound away at it, sometimes it feels like it's just never going to go away. That there's always going to be this next iteration of it, you know? Um, And it's so frustrating because you've got, there are some Christian voices out there that, you know, try to come across as more progressive and it's like they get so close it's like you're so close but you're still missing it by a mile because there's still an element of shame there that you're placing on people for their choices choices that aren't hurting anybody else and even their identities Um, they're very just who they are in some in many cases who they are as human beings you know it and i you know I get really, um, I try to allow space for people in all walks or people who still love Jesus, but maybe, you know, they don't, you know, but they're affirming maybe, you know, they don't agree with conservative stuff. And I try to allow space for all those people, but I do get really frustrated with some of these authors that, you know, are trying to champion women in in Christian spaces but it, they're still leaving out LGBTQ yeah women yep. um very obviously leaving out women of color <laughs> yeah. um and it just i feel like until you're doing those things we're always going to have 
some iteration of purity culture that's just everybody just keeps rebranding it. Um, because it's and outside then trying of to the say, church too. It's there's still like this puritanical vibe in you know quote unquote secular society where you know women are oh, slut shamed, yeah. women are 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 oh, yeah. assaulted, women are 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 treated as objects. Um, and it's all tied oh, yeah. together. I mean, a lot of the, most of the research I did for one of the episodes in that series, um, cause I did one about the way women dress and how, you know, and modesty yeah. and how that's used as a tool, you know, to oppress women. And, but most of my research was totally secular research. I mean, it was outside the church completely yeah. because there so much data exists yeah. out there. It's just the church on, perfects it. <laughs> the, the church Right. They 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 use the Bible, they use parts of the Bible they see yeah. fit as a justification right. for that behavior. Yeah. yeah. So Yeah. Yay. Yay church. <laughs> yay. Yeah, it's um So when you got to the end of that series, did you did you feel like it just confirmed what you had suspected or were you surprised by anything you found? Um, I mean, uh, the Dobson stuff I was definitely surprised about. Um, I was, it made me sad how, uh, how common so many of the experiences yeah. were, how many, how many people, uh, had the same experiences in common. Um, you know, I had people emailing me, I had people who knew me in real life that listened to it, um, that I had gone, been in different churches with growing up or in high school or college who were sending me messages saying things like, you know, oh my gosh, I, I hadn't really thought about that part in our life and how it's affected my marriage now or how it's affected my relationships now. Um, because I think that's the part that's really so difficult is that, yeah, purity culture, the kind that we grew up with, there was a very specific brand to it in the 90s. Yeah. For those of us in that kind of youth group generation, you know, there was true love weights. There was like, you know, CCM songs written about Kiss it. dating goodbye at the end of the nineties. Yeah. I kissed it. Josh Harris. Yeah. Um, it was like a whole movement. Um, but it didn't end there. You know, it didn't end when I got out of high school, you know, all those kids that went through youth group in the early two thousands, mid two thousands, they all went through it too. Um, and even beyond that. And it's, it's the after effects. Yeah. It's the it's the way it affects you either now as a married person, as a still single person who's trying to date in a secular world, but having all this pressure and stuff junk Shame, in your head, yeah. you know, from purity culture. Yeah. You hate your body. Um, your body is like the worst thing. And anything that's pleasurable is is a sign of sin. You know, it's it's uh it's it's insidious. I mean, when you're for the people who grew up in it, you know, you also were taught since a child to not trust your right. body, to not trust your intuition. 
Um, you know, the heart is deceitful above all else. Um, which is actual scripture I'm quoting for people listening. It's not just whatever. Yeah. We should put um, a trigger warning. Uh. <laughs> plucked out of context. I know. Right. Yeah. Sorry guys. Um, but when you pile all that on top of each other and then you get to middle school and high school and you're being taught that your body is a temple, yeah. um, you're also taught that, you know, men have these urges that they can't help, that as a woman you're responsible yeah. for men's feelings towards you. Um, that shit runs so deep. To this day, I, I kind of shudder at the thought of, like, bringing too much attention to myself. Right. Even though I've been in a relationship for 20 years, I've been married for almost 15 years, but I still, as a 41-year-old woman, shudder at the thought of bringing the wrong, I'm using air quotes for people who are listening, um, the wrong kind of attention to myself. And by um, yourself, you mean your body. Yeah. 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 And it trickles through, you know, like everything, you know, like, I don't know. It's and the only way that I've, I mean, I did that series when I did that series, it was like, I had written about some other things on my blog, you know, around deconstruction and faith up to that point. But purity culture was like the one thing I hadn't touched. Yeah. And I hadn't really gone there like in therapy yet either. Like, cause I had done some therapy work around, you know, um, deconstruction and religious trauma. But I hadn't really touched purity culture yet. And so I thought, well, this will be an interesting way to work my way through it is by coming at yeah. it from maybe more of like a partly academic perspective, partly experiential, but bring other people's experiences right. in it too. You know, I tried not to make it entirely about myself. Right. And um, you could hear the weight of it in your voice. You, I, I felt like you brought us, the people listening, along with you as you're unpacking this mm -hmm. you're 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 contextualizing it and you're you're realizing like almost in real time it felt like that man this shit sucked yeah. <laughs> this shit fucked suck, fucks people up you know and 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 yeah. coming out of that is an incredibly long journey for for a lot of people it's um you yeah. know maybe for the rest of your life you're 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 sort of deconstructing from from that alone forget all the theology and all of the things it's just how you see yourself and your sexuality is yeah that's mm -hmm. it's but that's what was so great about I, it. it was it was compelling listening <laughs> i mean i it was real i mean i was really sort of deconstructing it at the same time i was working my way through it because Logically, in my mind, sure, I knew now what was wrong versus what was right. But it's one thing to disconnect yourself from it and just know, have the head knowledge. It's another thing to actually sort of force yourself to remember all the awkward shit, yep. all the stuff that made you uncomfortable. Um, and... Sometimes I think, you know, in some ways, a lot of us will probably be feeling the repercussions in some way, shape or form the rest of our lives. 
And honestly, that's one of the things that I don't, it comes in waves, but I don't know that I will ever stop feeling angry in some way, shape, or form that I was never given a choice. I didn't choose that life. I didn't choose that belief system. I didn't choose to be taught those things. Um, and I don't know that that will never not feel unfair to me. Yeah. Um, um, I just, and that's why I think that it, that I'll probably be feeling the repercussions of that repercussions of that for the rest of my life. You know, like in my head, yes, I know I can change. I know I can heal from a lot of things, but that fact that I didn't choose it, that it was forced on me. That's never going to, that's never going to change. No, it's gotta be tough for churches, especially new churches to try to at least appear to be normal human beings. Think about it. It's a tough sell, Christian churches. Well, it should be. Their message is that you are a worthless piece of shit with no redeeming qualities. And the only, and I mean only thing that can make you okay is Jesus, God, Holy Spirit, which they have to offer. And which we only know about from seemingly random collections of texts compiled over like a thousand years. And we don't even have anything close to the originals of almost all of these texts. And they've been altered a lot and translated a few times from like Hebrew and Aramaic and into Greek badly and then into dozens of English translations, each one taking liberties as to how the text should be translated. And that's not even the hard part. You also can't have any fun. <laughs> Your desires and even and and wants are evil. And if you're a woman, your body is a weapon against the fragile sensibilities of whatever the hell men think they are. Your intellect is something that will lead you astray. And men, men have to do this dance where their wants and desires are both natural and God-given and something to cause an occasional oopsie in the form of an assault or rape or affair, which will always be forgiven. Not, not so much for the women. But the one thing, or few things, churches can do to at least pretend to be relatable, we don't pass the plate, the offering plate. We have a fucking box at the back. So there, we're keeping it real. Yeah, that's all they got. I asked my Facebook group if they went to churches that tried to be cooler or normal-er than whatever they assumed were traditional churches. Here's what we got. A few things. John Verner, host of the Cult of Christianity podcast, remembered some churches who downplayed the seriousness of taking communion by saying, we welcome anyone to partake of the Lord's Supper. And he found this humorous since it's literally a piece of bread and some grape juice, if you're one of, in one of those churches. Um, Sam remembered a church that boasted playing worship music at the 11 o'clock 11 a.m. service instead of hymns. So rock on, dudes. Tyler remembered a church that got everyone to wear a t-shirt that said, I'm a Christian because... Actually, I have no idea what the fuck that church was trying to do other than look like a cult that shopped at Walmart. 
Nate Nacal worked production at Hillsong New York City, and he remembers the days when they met at bars and concert venues with a bar at the back. And they would say something like, be sure to swing by the information bar before you leave today where you can get information, say it with me now, on tap. <laughs> so edgy and relatable. Actually, if a pint did accompany the information, now that could be something. I was going to do a sketch instead of just rant here with like a pastor describing all the relatable shit that his church was doing, but it ended up just being something like this, this list. It's kind of funny. It's really cringy. It's not even like lipstick on a pig that these churches are doing. It's like lip balm on a turd to mix all those metaphors. If someone goes to a church and listens to the sermon, participates in singing the worship songs, whether they be hymns or contemporary worship, and then notices the offering box at the back and says, oh, yeah, this settles it. We're going here. So cool to have a box at the back instead of passing a plate. Passing a plate is like so like old school. Yeah, I know. I'm punching down here, but damn. Hey friends, you're not going to believe it, but I just visited a church that had, get this, contemporary worship at 11. Not the evening service, not the Wednesday service, no, 11. Wow, my limited and mostly closed mind was really blown. Like, like the pastor with his secretary. Thank you, thank you very much. Sorry, I'm still punching down. Uh, let's get back to Emily. then I think she endures verbal abuse for a season and she endures perhaps being smacked one night and then she seeks help from the church. There is a pile of dead bodies behind the Mars Hill bus <laughs> and by God's grace it'll be a mountain by the time we're done. You either get on the bus or you get run over by the bus. Those are the options. There's nothing holy about writing discrimination into the law and I am tired of communities of faith being weaponized because the only time religious freedom is invoked is in the name of bigotry and discrimination. I'm tired of it. Hi, I'm Nate, producer and co-host on the Full Mutuality Podcast. Let's talk about inequality. It's everywhere. Whether it's rooted in race, gender, ability, or sexuality, there's bound to be an imbalance in power, influence, representation, and access. On our show, we want to explore areas of religion, culture, and society where justice is needed in order to bring about true mutuality. I hope you'll join us for some enlightening, fun, and at times uncomfortable conversations as we envision a world where everyone can live free from systems and structures that keep us from being truly equal. You can find us on your favorite podcast app or visit our website, fullmutuality.com, to find a list of all the platforms we're available on. Subscribe today, and we'll see you on the Full Mutuality Podcast. Hey, everyone. I'm Nate from the Full Mutuality Podcast. I wanted to take a moment to say thank you for tuning into this show. We're so grateful that you've decided to spend your time with us. Seriously, Dan, Gail, Jessica, Kathleen, Scott, and the rest of us here at the Dauntless Media Collective couldn't produce content like the show you're listening to without your support. I'd also like to invite you even further into the conversation. Right now, there are some great discussions happening over in the Dauntless Media Collective Discord server. 
If you're interested in chatting with other folks who are deconstructing and decolonizing the oppressive traditions that they came from, please feel free to hop on into the server. If you don't know what Discord is, it's a place where communities can gather online for chatting on a wide variety of topics. In our Discord server, we have channels devoted to general deconstruction conversations, some meme sharing, therapeutic venting about whatever religious bullshit you're currently dealing with, and even a channel specifically devoted to talking about the latest episodes of the podcast you're listening to right now. I hope you'll join us. You can log in directly to the Dauntless server by clicking the link in the show notes or heading to dauntless.fm and clicking the link in the top banner. See you there. That won't. And I think that's the that's what a lot of people struggle. I And I hear kind of like that same thread through a lot of people who lived through that time and especially purity culture is that same sort of underlying anger of like, I didn't choose this. It was put on me. And I think there's a big difference between people who were converted to Christianity as adults. They have their own self to blame Um, for that. Um. Right. I mean, granted, yeah, sure. You know, there's people who, you know, were persuaded into like cult-like situations or were like manipulated or abused. Sure. But it's much different when you were, literally born into it and raised in that certain way and you were never given the option right. um and the only way that i have found to sort of heal that and or that's helped me heal that is to raise my own kids differently yep. is to protect them as much as i can from um, any of those voices that would try to shame them or tell them they should be a certain way or, you know, think a certain way. Uh, you know, I want them to make those choices for themselves when they're older, when they can understand. Um, and that's, that's yeah. not easy. With, without you know, the I mean, fear I, and I'm, shame and guilt. Um, yeah. Right. Like I just what don't, would that be like? I don't want them. <laughs> it's like, I <laughs> I don't even right. know. I mean, I I haven't been on Twitter much recently, but I a couple of weeks ago I I went on randomly and tweeted cuz I just had this moment in the car with my daughter. We were in the car at night like coming home from being out to dinner or something. And there was a full moon and she was like she's looking out the window all wistfully and she's, "Oh, mommy." The moon is so beautiful. And I said, yeah, it really is beautiful. And she goes, I wish I was a witch. And I just looked at her and I said, so you could fly in front of it with your broom? And she goes, yeah, mommy. I already know how to do that. And, you know, I'm so glad it was dark because I was just sitting there silently weeping. (laughs) Because I was thinking about how how much fear and shame I would have endured for saying such yeah. a thing out loud as a child in that culture. Oh, yeah. And when she said those words out loud, there was no, no. shame. There was no fear. There was no negative no, connotation just whatsoever. imagination of a child. Just the most pure yeah. thing. And it, at that moment, I just... It's moments like that where I just have to tell myself, like, 
okay, like you're going to be okay and you're doing something right. Like you're doing the thing. You're breaking a cycle. You know, every time, you know, every time we just let her wear what she wants to wear and not, not tell her that she's, you know, her, her skirt's yeah. too short because she's not being ladylike yeah. or she's You're not, you know, Satan any of these in. things. Right. Like we just let her be her. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we have the conversation a lot. And just yesterday she said to me, mommy, how do you know it's okay for boys to paint their nails? And I said, well, because it doesn't matter. If you're a boy or a girl or neither one of those, I said, you can just be who you want to be. Anybody can wear what they want to wear. And we've had this conversation a lot. Can wear what they want to wear and they be who they want to be. It doesn't matter if their mom or dad say they're a boy or a girl. Um, and those are conversations, you know, that nobody ever had with me when I was right. a kid. And so it's like, and I know, you know, not everybody who went through what we all went through grows up to have kids, but I feel like for me personally, that's been one of the ways I've healed from that or am healing from that life is by just allowing my kids to be who they are without anyone telling them that they're sinners right. that need to be saved. Yeah. Um, or telling them that there's such place, such thing as hell or that angels and demons are real or any of those things that I was told when I was a kid. Yeah. A couple thoughts. It'd be, I think it'd be (laughs) advantageous to have a witch in the family that there's gotta be some, some advantages to to that. Um, I think it would be fantastic. (laughs) Yeah. She's my, we're big. My husband's a big anime Uh fan and. So my kids like anime too, but one of her favorite movies is Kiki's Delivery yeah. Service, and and her, and her nickname is Kiki because my daughter's name is Mikaela. Hey. So, uh, it's kind of yeah. It, it was all very. It was a very poetic moment when yeah, she was no, singing. I got the teary movie. hearing that story. It's... She's like, she's like, I I just want to fly in front of yeah. it, mom, and I already know how to do that. I know how to fly on my broom. I'm like, okay, yeah. baby, okay, awesome. <laughs> The other thing, outside of kids, you said you're 41. <laughs> I got to tell you, the 40s mm-hmm. are the best decade for just saying fuck it. And, and you know, you have a good life partner. You're in a secure place relationally. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, the, yeah. And the 40s are fucking awesome. So just, just, you know, just, yeah, just. I am looking forward to it. I just. I do feel, and I think that's, honestly, that's kind of the reason I put the podcast on hiatus again a little bit is because I kind of am in the place where I am sort of just like, fuck it, do I want to spend my life talking about this shit still? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if it's benefiting me to still talk about it a lot. Um, I love the the people in this community that we have built. I love the people I've met because of it. I love the experiences that I had. Um, and... And I want to continue to maintain those friendships and those relationships. But yeah, I'm kind of, I don't know. Like, I just, I'm kind of also like, I just want to live, 
my yeah. life and I, I and I want to find what it means to build a community that's not it has nothing to do with church yeah. no, <laughs> inside of church walls yeah. and but I'll, and I think honestly when I was a, when I went down for your book signing that was the thing that moved me the most honestly was watching you with your people and the community that you have built and the people who were surrounding you, who clearly loved you so much and supported you. That was, it was like life goals. It was like, (laughs) I'm just sitting there watching that in front, you know, like it was amazing. And, and honestly, I, And not to like make it about race, but as white people, like we're kind of shitty at that a lot of times. And like we, like we really are. Like, I mean, you know, I live in like, you know, a very suburban part of like Northern California where it's just all like a bunch of like white families and people just like go in their garage and close the door and go in their house. And like, we might wave to each other, but like, that's about it. It's not, it's, I was just really moved by that and I was reminded of like oh I don't have to shut myself off to the world because of my upbringing because sometimes you know you're kind of worried people will think you're a freak or something because of the way you were raised Um, but I don't have to shut myself off to the world that I can that it's possible to have a community and that it's beneficial to have a community of people who love you and support you. And um, I just really admired that about what you built down there. I mean, I never in my life have had the desire to live in LA, but after that weekend, oh. I was like, I want to live in LA. <laughs> like, I was like, That's a cool place to be. Like those are all such cool people. I yeah. mean, it was... Well, it, it doesn't even matter where, you know, it's, uh, it's about the people and, and yeah. it's finding, finding yeah. the people. Um, and I was exactly. lucky. And that's, that's why deconstruction was, was pretty, pretty seamless for, for me um it was a long period too but but yeah no i appreciate and, right. you know and sharing that experience with y'all who came down from from different places to come to the book mm-hmm. event really meant the world to me because it it was like you all mean so much to me and you know obviously my friends mm-hmm. and community mean so much to me my family um it was just yeah. such a privilege to have everybody together in, in a space to to celebrate, you know, my, my little book, you know, it's, uh, but it was, yeah. but, it was a cool experience. It was but awesome. Yeah. No, you, your forties are going to be awesome. If you want to, uh, you know, off, off <laughs> mic, I'll, I'll, I'll share stories of, of adventures and things, perspectives that I've gained. Cause now I'm, I'm not in my forties anymore. It's like fifties are not as good. You don't have to, you don't have to tell me as, that, Scott. Uh, you can pretend. I'm still as mature as I was when I was, you know, 27. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> I tell people all the time, like in my brain, I feel like I'm like 19. Yeah. I'm like, I can't really, how am I responsible for raising yeah, children exactly. right now? I shouldn't be responsible yeah. for that. I, I don't, <laughs> but I can't be 19 anymore because my kids are older than 19. So I've, that's I've moved true. it up. I that's feel true. like I'm like 35. So, oh yeah, okay. that's, that's a good mental I'll age. Just, yeah. Just stay with that. But, um, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we'll 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 talk. I got I got some. I have thoughts. And, um, 
on that. 50s are okay. I still feel the same, but yeah, you know, my, my vision is, is not so great. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I don't I don't bounce back from from a night out as, as quickly. Um, yeah, I, I feel that uh, now too, so yeah. it's okay. <laughs> but anyway, it's all about just perspective of, of this life. And man, I really appreciate yeah. you coming on to because I we we talked before about how it's not fun going back through this. It's it's not. It's not, you know. We'll we'll both spend the rest of our. It's always it's always fun with you. I mean, it's I don't. It really makes a difference who you're talking to about it. When you're with a good friend, yeah, and we can laugh about it. It does, yeah. And you know, yeah, say some shit about it. Um, and that helps. So, and I'll say this: you'll you'll be better at the conversations that you're having if you if you spend your forties kicking ass, partying hard, living living life. You know, and you know, in balance, being a good parent, being a good uh, partner, sure, and, and yeah. being a good human being. Um, yeah. Because I, I had that experience where I came back to the conversation, and I felt like, yeah, I have so much more bandwidth for it now than I might have it when it was more mm. recent. So, mm-hmm. so go up, go live life. You know, take the breaks you need. But I, I think your voice is important, and I think your voice is um, very clear and and helpful for a lot of people. So, so there's that. Thank you. So thank you. I appreciate you. So yeah, thanks. Thanks for coming on Chapel Probation and, and telling your, your thing. Thank so. you for having me. Thanks for uh, listening to all my weird stories. M's the best from Vanguard to today the life she wrote um if you're curious i'll have a link to the interview that i did with her at the very beginning of this it was it was literally like two months before this podcast even launched i still had no idea uh, what i was going to do what chapel probation was going to become and so it's this is like one of those you know minor full circle moments uh getting to talk to M and share a laugh shed a tear and think about this life that we have. Um, so we'll be back next week with another episode of Chapel Probation. Have a great week. <laughs>